Well, good morning again. One other thing I wanted to, to mention to you, uh, and that, that is this. Um, if, if you are a helper already um, in the children's ministry department downstairs, thank you. Uh, we greatly, 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 greatly appreciate your help. Appreciate your help more than you could know, but we also know that there's some newer um, people around that may or may not be acquainted with that, and as all of our families begin returning and new ones uh, join us, we could definitely use some more help. And so today, right after church, so it's nice and early in the day, right after church, McKenna's having a, a little luncheon for all of her volunteers and things. And so if you're just curious, you're interested, you'd like to meet McKenna and maybe get involved with helping, then please stay. I will donate my lunch to you if, there's, if there wasn't enough food um, for you to stay and, and learn. And, and find out more. Uh, it, it's an incredible opportunity to serve, and it's not every Sunday. It's a, on definite, a definite rotation at least once a month, maybe even further out than that if we can get a few more volunteers. So um, thank you in advance for those of you that might consider that. Or if you're like, I can't stay for lunch today, but, but I would love to possibly help out, get that Connect card out right now that's in that seat back in front of you and fill that out and say, McKenna, hey, McKenna, I could, I could probably, uh, I'd love to talk to you about getting on the schedule of rotation for teaching downstairs, all right? You guys sound great. Uh, you can't hear you because you're facing this way, but I'm in the front and I can hear you and you guys sound amazing this morning. Thank you for that. It's so encouraging uh, to hear your voices. Please feel free to continue to contribute throughout the whole service because it's just really encouraging for that to happen. All right, let's go to Lord in prayer to, to start off here. Father God, I'm so excited about your word. I'm so excited about the person of Daniel and, and what he was able to do and accomplish through you in the time in which he lived and the example that you somehow preserved for us. These, these documents, I, I know we did things on this a couple years ago, but these documents are just fascinating and how they still exist and they still teach and they're still alive and they're breathing into our lives the truth of your word. Father, let us absorb that truth today in such a way that we begin to reflect it to others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you didn't see the, t I'm not a big title guy. It's not my thing. Um, I just, it's just not, not that important. That's why I don't emphasize those things very often. But there's a lot of people asking questions like this in the world today. So how do you earn credibility? How do you get people to listen to you? How do you win hearts to the Lord? Well, today's message, if you will, is, is the definition of how to do that. It's a simple thing. It's called humility. That is how credibility is earned, and that is how hearts will be won in the world in which we live. If you're familiar with Daniel, maybe you grew up in the church and you remember the stories and things like that of Daniel's life, then, then you know, or maybe you've never thought of this, but could you imagine the life of Daniel as a, as a full-length Hollywood motion picture production up on the big screen? It basically has every single element except one, romance. There is no love in the book of Daniel. But after that, everything else is included. War, m wealth, power, um, backstabbing, betrayal, murder, you name it, it's all in there. It would be this epic, epic motion picture for sure. If you're new to the church or maybe new to Jesus and you're just exploring, you're just looking for truth, you're trying to find hope in this world. And I got to tell you that you have joined us to hear the example of the character, the person in scripture that maybe exemplifies hope in God more than any other character. His example is so good, in fact, that honestly, it's one that we should all strive to obtain, that same type of hope that Daniel had in his God. Daniel had true biblical hope, an absolute deep-rooted, ingrained, entrenched confidence in God's character, who God is, and God's sovereignty, the way he is in control 
over everything. Daniel's hope wasn't just expressed in words. He didn't just write a few things down. No, he lived out his hope, absolutely. He staked his life multiple times on this hope that he had in his God. Paul writes of this same hope, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that, <clears throat> of, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people of his very own, eager to do what is good. Are we still eager to do what is good in this world? Daniel reminds us that our hope in Jesus is the source of our courage to fight. As the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, 15, our hope is something that must be on display for everyone to see. And when they see it, we have to be prepared to give an account, to tell them about this absolute hope that we have in our God so that they can then hopefully join us in that same hope. But this week, we shift gears. We shift gears to a second characteristic of Daniel that allowed him to thrive in Babylon, and it really seems kind of backwards versus the world in which we live now. You think our world is a cutthroat world now. Could you imagine living in these times when there was an absolute power, a ruler that dictated everything? It had all of their little henchmen, if you will, making sure that every little law was enforced. And if anything got out of line, then of course you know the results if you listened last week. It was typically death. They really didn't have a lot of options. It was just death. We just kill you. That's just what they did. Daniel's second characteristic is that of humility. And just like the word hope last week, the world we live in today doesn't really understand or even know what the word humility or to be humble even means. And there's lots of reasons for that. One possibility is this, true humility is very, very rarely on display in our world today. Our world is full of pride and ego, standing out from the crowd, drawing attention to oneself often at the expense of others, while of course humility is then incorrectly viewed as a sign of weakness. A lot of people associate the word humility with the word humiliation. Rightfully so, they come from the same root, they sound very similar, but they come at very different ends of the spectrum. To humiliate, by definition, means to injure the dignity and self-respect of or to make humble. In other words, it's an action performed on someone else to lower the condition or status. Who wants that? Forced humiliation is miserable. Has anyone ever been forcibly humiliated? Yeah, not a fun experience. Being humble, on the other hand, does not mean that you have low self-esteem. As a matter of fact, God's Word actually calls us to have an accurate idea of who we are and our skills and our abilities. It's okay to have some confidence, but He, he challenges us. We're not to think too highly or too poorly of ourselves. Romans 12, 3, Paul writes, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Remember, Jesus is our ultimate model for all things, absolutely, and Jesus was as humble as it possibly comes. However, I think Jesus had a pretty high opinion of himself. He did claim to be God. Yeah, he didn't hide that, <laughs> okay? He wasn't being cocky or arrogant. He was stating, stating the truth. 
That is all. Daniel, the main character, the one that wrote this book, writes these words, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing every aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace, Daniel 1.4. Who was he writing about? Himself. <laughs> That's right. Himself and his friends. Was he being cocky and arrogant? No, he was just stating a fact. That's why he was chosen. The actual, his ideas about himself were confirmed by the king of Babylon and their supervisors. So he wasn't being cocky at all. Being humble is not a lack of ambition. Being humble does not mean denying your strengths or your talents or your gifts. Daniel and his friends were gifted by God, and they worked very hard, and they graduated at the top of their class. It says in Daniel 1.20, they were 10 times better than all the other magicians, enchanters, and all those things, things in the whole kingdom. If you want to be great, that's okay. Did you know that? As a matter of fact, Jesus created you to be great. It's absolutely true. Here's the problem. The path to greatness is actually a humble path of service. It is not a path lined with all of those that you walked on. And that's the difference in biblical humility and greatness. It's also not claiming to be bad at something that you're actually really good at. A lot of people have that artificial false humility. That's not it at all. Biblical humility means you're willing to be overlooked that you don't insist on being in the spotlight all the time. You don't seek it out. But if you are placed there like Daniel, then you give the credit to whom the credit is due. Biblical humility is serving others by putting their interests ahead of our own. You become a servant. Take it a step farther. It's not just serving people that you want to serve. We're called to serve those that deserve to be served and those that don't. And then God takes it a whole other step further and says, oh, by the way, you also need to serve your enemy, a whole other level. Maybe the greatest example of humility in all of Scripture is found in John 13, and many of you have heard this reference many times. It's, it says Jesus humbly knelt before his disciples, the ones that had been following him, the ones he'd been teaching for three years, and he washed their feet. And as if that wasn't enough, the moment that strikes me throughout that whole scene is as the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the entire world, kneels before Judas, who in just a couple hours will sell him out to be murdered, and Jesus knew it. It wasn't like he pretended it wasn't going to. He knew he'd already identified there was someone in the room. He just hasn't dismissed him to go do it yet. He already knows the who's and the what's and the why's and the how's. And there he is lying at the feet of the man who does it. That, that's humility. That's our example. Daniel's life of humility reveals to us how you and I can build credibility and even trust within a world that is trying to destroy it. We won't get a lot of politics in here, but I'm telling you what, if you're not following the news right now and the stuff that's being passed, that's going to be forced on you and us very soon, this is the world in which we live. Daniel faithfully served evil kings who were over him. And he did so, so well that he continually was promoted to positions of more influence and more power time after time again, all the way to the fact that he led both King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius to proclaim that his God, the God of Daniel, was the only true God. You don't just do that. You just don't walk in and say, King, I want you to worship my God. It just doesn't work that way. 
If you listen to King Darius' proclamation that he wrote to his empire that he was ruling over, listen to how Daniel changed his mind. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Now that didn't just happen because Daniel walked out of the lions then that next day. That happened because of who Daniel was before he walked in to the lion's den. Now, some people might ask a very good question. Would Daniel's form of humility even work in the world today? It's a good question, because I think a lot of spiritual people would look at Daniel and say, you know what, I think he's spiritually compromised. Look at how he's serving that leader so well. Because, you know, as followers of Jesus, what we're supposed to do is avoid contact with all world leaders, with all interaction, things like that, right? Right? Maybe not. Maybe that's not the way, okay? In the Christian community, it seems like most of our interactions with those people, with those godless institutions, those godless leaders always come in the form of confrontation, of criticism, and things like that, rather than in respectful conversation and the attempt to build relationships. By humbly serving the godless leaders of his day, Daniel earned the right to be heard by them. And we've got to do the exact same thing. Everyone, everyone bears the image of God. I'm going to repeat that again. Everyone bears the image of God. Is that hard for you to imagine? I I dare you, think of an image of someone right now in your mind that you're like, no, they don't bear the image of God. They're too evil. They're too far gone. They're too much a sinner. Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, really? Is that true? Who is it that you cannot apply that truth to? Because the reality is you and I, we don't get to decide who was and wasn't made in the image of God. All of mankind is made in the image of God, regardless of how they choose to live their lives. We have to treat everyone with the same respect. We don't get to choose who we do or do not serve. Daniel, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show this respect to everyone they came into contact with, from evil kings to guards to co-workers who wanted them dead. Their attitude, their words, their behavior were so radically different in their time frame that it's an example we can still follow today. So many believers, instead, we carry around anger, we carry around resentment, hatred even, toward those people that strongly oppose our values and our beliefs. That is not the way of God. That is sinful, and it will not lead anyone in Jesus' direction. There's two stories from the life of Daniel that I'm going to share with you today. Both of these illustrate both the hope that Daniel has in his God, but also the humility that was needed for those who were in power to even listen to Daniel in the first place, let alone believe what it was he was sharing with them. The first story comes from Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar has another one of his famous dreams that no one can interpret, unfortunately or fortunately for Daniel's sake. This time, he actually told them what the dream was. Thank you, King, for being so very kind. It was an absolutely crazy dream. It was about this huge tree that reaches all the way to the sky, and it, it covers this great expanse, and it provides everything needed for everything that dwells underneath this tree. But then a voice from heaven came and, and called the tree to be cut down, get rid of the leaves, get rid of the fruit, bury them, get rid of it all, but don't cut down the stump or the roots, just the fruit and the limbs. 
bind those things with bronze and iron. And then it got really weird. It said, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and be given, give him the mind of an animal until seven times has passed by for him. This decision announced by the messengers, the holy ones, declares the verdict so that the, most high, or so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people, Daniel 4, 15 through 17. That was a weird one. And it says that when Daniel heard it, he didn't understand it at first. He had to go and seek additional counsel. And when he did begin to understand it, his thoughts terrified him. Now, when you think about everything Daniel has been through, this is the first time he ever uses that kind of language as he reflects on his life. Something about what God has revealed to him is terrifying. Let me share this with you. If you have the ability to interpret dreams, that's one thing. But then when you have the uh, uh, responsibility to interpret the dream back to its dreamer, that's quite another thing. Imagine having to tell the king of the world, the strongest, most powerful man on earth at that moment in time, the following it says, Belshazzar, that would be Daniel's Babylonian name. My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel has so much respect for his position that he's going to, I'm going to tell you the truth, king, because I'm a truthful man. I'm absolutely honoring my word here. But man, I wish this wasn't for you. Let's be really honest. If this were you, and you were the dream interpreter here, and you had an evil boss who you get to go tell, hey, guess what, boss? <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> I know what happens. And how would you respond? Would you respectfully tell him, or would you kind of rub it in his face just a little as you told him what his dream meant? Yeah, think of the re- restraint he had to have in giving this news. The tree which you saw, verse 20, grew large and strong with its tops touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. You, your majesty, you are that tree. Oh, awesome. Sweet. That's me. I'm big. I'm famous. Awesome. Everybody knows me. You become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, saying to cut down that tree and destroy it. Wait, I was the tree. Yeah, that's you. Bind it with iron and bronze and the grass of the fields while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the degree the Most High has issued against you, my Lord the King. You will be driven away from your people. You will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like oxen. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you before, for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored when you finally acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, please accept my advice. You don't tell the king what to do. (laughs) Renounce your sins. Do what's right. And your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Daniel's letting him in on a secret here. Hey, king, this is the bad news, but let me share the good. If you decide to change right now, none of this ever happens. 
Nebuchadnezzar had grown powerful. His fame and power was known across the world, but he was about to lose it all once more. Not only, it's not like a, a typical overthrow of a kingdom where the king is killed or his family is murdered and he's just taken out. No, 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 no. He will be completely and totally humiliated before everyone. He will go insane. He will live in the grass. He will live amongst the oxen and have the mind of an ox. Could you imagine telling the king that this was going to happen to him? The hope that Daniel had first in his immediate protection. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar could have struck Daniel down right in that moment if he had so desired. It tells you about the relationship that he had with Daniel. And then the confidence that he had in the truth of the Lord, that the words that he spoke, the interpretation of the dream was absolutely, completely true. And then even the respect he showed to the king as he was delivering the terrible, terrible news. You see, God waited a year. God didn't make it happen just like that. God waited a year for King Nebuchadnezzar to potentially repent of his sin, but he didn't. And eventually Nebuchadnezzar found himself removed from the throne, living in the fields, eating grass, until he finally acknowledged the Most High seven years later. And then we read at the end of chapter 4 of Daniel this confession of Nebuchadnezzar himself. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and with the people of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my king. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Now, it's a shame he had to live for seven years as an ox to figure that out. Daniel tried to tell him beforehand, but it just didn't quite work. A man of great power, great pride, great ego was slow to realize who God truly was. You see, Daniel knew that God was in control of those who are in control. And this allowed him to confidently and humbly submit to these people in power over him and serve them as if he was serving God himself. Again, many people argue today that that approach just won't work. A couple of weeks ago, I shared with you the words of the prophet Jeremiah where he encouraged people that had been taken away into Babylon to go live good lives, have families, be prosperous, pray for prosperity of those over you. But just prior to those words in chapter 27, verse 9, Jeremiah wrote them this advice. Do not listen to the prophets or the diviners or the interpreters of dreams, your mediums or your sorcerers who tell you. Just don't listen to the people who tell you this. Hey, don't serve that king of Babylon. They prophesy lies to you that will only serve to remove you from your lands. I will banish you and you will perish. But if any nation will bow its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let that nation remain in its own land to till it. And to live there, declares the Lord. Now, this was written to a group of people that were not excited 
about the prospect of serving the king who just destroyed their home, probably killed many of their friends and family members and carried them away into exile in a foreign land. They were being told to submit to their leaders, the people in power over them, not to obey these people that were giving these false prophecies. Probably there were some amongst their midst that didn't want to submit. There were probably some in their midst leading a rebellion against the king of Babylon. But God says, no, no. And furthermore, if you're willing to submit, then I'm going to tell you this, that you will be blessed as a result of your submission. The apostle Peter offers very similar advice to this, to the early Christians living under the emperor of Nero in Rome. He says this in 2 Peter 2.13, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor as the supreme leader or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commit those, commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. If you don't know who Nero was, look him up. He was crazy. He was a crazy man, and he was famous for his brutality and inhumane treatment of Christians. Yet Peter is telling believers to honor that man. How'd that work out? Well, it took a while. They did. About 250 years. But the Roman Empire was eventually won over by Christians. A humble group of people who had a genuine love for others and for their God. You see, Daniel did the right thing. Now, some people say, well, of course he did. He was Daniel. Of course he always did the right thing. That's the wrong way to look at it, folks. Because if Daniel had chosen otherwise, if he was not a man of hope, if he was not a man that was humble, if he was not a man of godly wisdom, then we would never have heard of him. (laughs) And in spite of doing the right thing, he was kidnapped He was probably castrated and unable to have children. He was forced to study the occult. His name was changed to honor a demon. He was forced into the service of a wicked king whose laws were in direct violation to Daniel's beliefs while his co-workers were consistently trying to have him executed. That's all. I can't look at the life of Daniel and honestly imagine that he went through every single one of those instances in life knowing what was going to happen on the other side. I just, I just don't believe that he did. I just believe that his hope was so great in his God that it didn't matter what happened on the other side. I'm sure he had a preferred outcome. As he was thrown into the lion's den, and we'll talk about next week, as just an 80-year-old man, that's all. I'm sure he had a desired outcome for that. But you see, here's what Daniel didn't do. Daniel could have easily, based on his intelligence and skills, just set back and been a part of what he was supposed to be a part of, and let life pass him by. But he did not do that. It would be very easy, in this moment at least, to pretend to be a Christian and just exist, stay out of the public light, stay out of conversations, do not serve those people that disagree with you. As a matter of fact, keep your distance from them and just let God's plan play out. That is not why you and I are here today in this moment. That is not why God put us in this generation. For some reason, God believes that you and I can make a difference or we wouldn't be here today. So we have to step forward and do that. Daniel did not just accept his role and do the bare minimum to keep his job. 
He strived to be the best, the hardest working servant, the hardest working, most trusted leader, the most respected servant. King Darius got so far in chapter 6, verse 3, that he wanted to appoint Daniel as in charge of the entire kingdom, because then as he is king, wouldn't have to worry about a thing. That's who Daniel was. How did that happen? Well, he was 80 years old when Darius was king. It took a lifetime of humble, consistent, respectful service, but God eventually used this man's heart to protect his very own people in exile. We talk about spiritual warfare in the church as we should. I want to assure you that conversation is absolutely warranted. We have to make people aware of the reality that there is a spiritual battle going on right now moment of every day that is raging around us, first for the lost souls, to keep them from ever being won, and then if anybody else can be distracted, or the church can be destroyed, or anything along the way can happen that Satan can get his hands in, that's where he wants to be. But there's something that believers have to remember, and we've often forgot this about this battle. Paul reminds us, Ephesians 6, 12, our struggle is not against each other, (laughs) It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We choose to ignore this. We treat those who are apart from Christ as the enemy they are not. We don't try to force them to live as believers in Christ. Why should they? They're not serving Jesus. They're not living for Jesus. They don't know the ways of Christ. We've got to show them. When people are fighting against one another, it's very unlikely that anyone's going to be willing to to listen. If that's the case, how on earth could we win them for Christ? Jesus asked us, he tells us to win over the lost. If you got a pen or notes or something on your phone, look up Luke chapter 6, verse 27 through 36. I'm not going to read it to you now. That's for you to investigate. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 36. Jesus did not call us to defeat any person. They are not the enemy. As a matter of fact, they, like you and I, are the same ones that Jesus died to save. Our role is to love them. Our role is to serve them. Our role is to persuade them into the things of Christ. The first century Christians did not ever try to overthrow the Roman government. They didn't try to change the many, 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 many ills that the Roman government was forcing upon them. What did they do? They focused on changing hearts and doing what was right all the time and loving everyone. And those are the same reasons that we're here today. If you do not know the love of Jesus personally yourself, and we know whether watching a home or even in this room, there are people that just don't really have a relationship with Jesus yet. Here's what we're praying for. We're praying that God will use us as humble servants to show you this love of Jesus and how much he loves you. And we pray that our hope in God will be so appealing to you that ultimately you cannot resist his love for you. And for those of us that already belong to Jesus, Daniel's example of humility is exactly the guide for how we can reach the world around us. Our coworkers, our bosses, even people in positions of power and influence, whether it be social media, whether it be politics, whatever your world that you dwell in, there is a way through loving and serving everyone God puts in your path. You absolutely can and will make a difference. And your humble spirit will help lead them to Christ one day. 
don't give up. Paul gives us some great advice as he writes to the pastor. 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. It says this, and this is our reminder, church. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. We are not to be argumentative. That's not who we're called to be. But we must be kind to everyone. We must be able to teach, not argue, teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Is that how you view the opposition? Do you view them as enemies trapped, tricked into fighting against you? I took a quote actually from a book called Thriving in Babylon. That's the name of the series. That's where I got the name from, was from this book. But I took a quote from the author of that book. He said it this way, and I loved it, so I had to share it with you. Our goal is not to see God pour out his judgment on them. I'm going to stop right there. There are churches that are praying for God to pour out his judgment on people right now. No. No. That should never be the desire of our heart. Our goal should not be to see God pour out his judgment on anyone. It should be to see God pour out his grace and his mercy in granting them repentance and knowledge of the truth. We are to try to persuade everyone. Everyone. Let that be your mission as we leave here today. Father God, as we consider the world in which we live and we, we read and we see and we, we hear people talk, how are we going to fight against this? How are we going to fight back? How are we going to battle this? All things that are true, but all of those things people view in the wrong light because our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not tearing down structures. It's not burning things up. It's not overtaking buildings. No, no, that's not our battle. Our battle is to see how much we can serve, how humble we can be so that people will see God in us and what He did for them. They don't need to see us going in and destroying things, bad things, arguing about things. They need to see us come in and bow before them and wash their feet because they're going to walk away going, what on earth is wrong with that person rather than try to fight back? Father, you came and you served and you loved, and you gave us that perfect example, and you fought the battle for us as you went to the cross on our behalf. And now as believers, we must follow your lead and the example of those like Daniel and humbly love and serve those around us. Develop relationships with those people so that ultimately your words can be spoken into their life. And regardless if, if their policies or their politics or their decisions ever change, Father, they can develop a relationship with you. It's not us, up to us to change their mind. It's up to you to change their heart. We pray that you begin that process. And if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you yet, then I pray that their heart is changing in this moment and that the Spirit is moving to the day where they will accept you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.